The Pace Line Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash paceline to support the show and learn more. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. Hello, Paceliners. We continue our three-topic format with a look in the mirror. Basically, when I ride, I look like a crazed hobo with extraordinarily nice quads and, you know, who's stolen and then begun neglecting a really nice bike. And in short, I don't look very pro. I ride ugly. I confess to having a disorder when it comes to buying bike product. And Patrick talks with a bike advocate about making the road a safer place. We need to change traffic culture. And that's all of us. Those are bicycles, those are pedestrians, those are motorists. Everybody needs to improve highway safety in our culture. We need to develop a political mandate. Baseline, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, Hottie, and Fatty bringing you the official podcast of redkiteprayer.com. Find us there and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And if by chance you're using Apple Podcasts, take a moment to subscribe, leave us a five-star rating, with a few bonus seconds awarded if you leave us a review. This is episode 101 of The Paceline with a three-man, three-pole group ride today with a three-pick sprint to the city limit sign. Hottie, contributor to RKP and the voice of cycling. How are you doing? Uh, terrific, terrific, Fatty. Good to be on the show. Good to, Show 101. We're off and running, aren't we? It sounds like an entry-level college course number, doesn't it? Now, it sounds like a freeway to me in uh, Southern it? California. Yeah, That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, I, I like yours better. Um, there, there needs to be a wide shoulder on that. Have you guys ridden on 101? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And? What happens? I mean, is it is it safe? Can you ride a bike on 101? Well, there's a stretch near Ventura where if you wanted to get south, you had to be on it. There was like no other way, uh, hmm. really, at least not any other coastal route. And there was a very wide shoulder, but it was still something approximating negative one fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Highway 101, probably best for driving. Anyway, hottie. What you got for us as you're leading the pace line? Well, have you ever regretted a bike purchase or a bike <laughs> equipment purchase? <laughs> if so, what and why? And if not, why are you so perfect? <laughs> Your question made uh, Patrick uh, actually choke. I mean, someone go get him the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it's unthinkable. You, oh you okay, buddy? <laughs> I, I'll recover. You know, it might take the whole episode, but I'll recover. All right, Patrick, what's going on and what do you have for us? So I interviewed Richard Fries of Mass Bike about a 2015 case in which a woman was run over while doing everything right. And yet the Boston PD placed 100% of the blame on her. I have a feeling that's going to be an angry segment. <laughs> I'm Fatty, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking about 
Riding Ugly. Let's get rolling. Hottie, lead us out. Well, guys, when it comes to bike purchases, I am slow to pull the trigger. I spent more than a year looking at riding, reading about gravel bikes before I finally plunked down a deposit on my fat chance crisscross. My time road bike, that frame set hung in a shop near my workplace for a couple of years before I made up my mind to make it mine. And I can't tell you how many bikes or pieces of equipment I have thought about buying only to see them slip away simply because I have a strange hangup when it comes to making a decision about what to get. Some of this comes from my dad. He is as deliberate as they come. He reads up, cross-references, asks around, then thinks about and considers something else until he finally decides what to buy. Buying a pack of gum for him is like a research project. (laughs) And like father, like son. I can take forever when faced with choices that have a financial undertone. Funny thing is, at my day job, I'm the complete opposite. I make decisions on the fly. Six times an hour, I am moving people and an airplane around, and I do so with certainty and fearlessness. But God forbid, I need a new set of bike tires or a package of bar tape. I will check every website looking for that perfect purchase. Much of this disease could be diagnosed as cheapism. I'm trying to find the absolute best deal. Not the lowest price, the best deal. I want the most product for my dollar. Yeah, even with a $20 roll of bar tape. But really what I have is a fear of regret. I don't want to buy something then regret having done so. Like some bike shoes I have purchased in the past. I have two pair that have like a combined 20 rides. They just never felt good. But my biggest bike regret didn't actually affect me. It took down Mrs. Hottie. Mrs. Hottie's first road bike was a specialized Roubaix. It was comfy. It had a triple. It behaved predictably. But when she started riding more and had plans to knock out her first century, I decided she needed something lighter and fancier. Enter the specialized (laughs) Amira, essentially a lady's tarmac, a race bike. My hope was the more advanced machine would fuel her motivation to take on more challenging bike goals. It, of course, had the opposite effect. The Amira turned her into a nervous wreck. It was too twitchy, too quick, too much bike for her abilities. After a lot of white knuckling and a couple of crashes, I got rid of that thing and put her back on something more like her old Roubaix. She is now in a much better place. However, I am still getting over a case of PPRD, (laughs) post-purchase regret disorder. So my question, fellas, Have you ever regretted, Patrick Brady, have you ever regretted a bike purchase? You've gone through a lot of bikes in your life. There's got to be one in there. You went, ah, that was the wrong choice. I've I've regretted not purchasing certain bikes. Uh, There was a 1997 Lightspeed Vortex that I could have gotten an incredibly sweet deal on after doing the Killington Stage Race on it. And I didn't purchase that bike. And that ranks as a regret there's a bike i sold my my first really good road bike uh hand-built miele uh equipped with super record i sold that bike i needed the money i didn't have a lot of room for storage so i sold it and today i sort of regret selling that bike um i i i i i can't fathom regretting 
purchasing a bicycle. I mean, I, I feel for what you went through uh, with Mrs. Hottie, and I'm really curious to know what you replaced that Amira with. Um, but I, no, I've never regretted purchasing a bike. Yeah, she has a Live Avail, which is Giants uh, ladies line, the Live, and the Avail is like a Roubaix. It has a disc brakes, Ultegra, uh, compact, uh, 32 in the back. Uh, most importantly, the disc brakes, and it fits 30s, and she's just much better off with it. It's a little heavier, but she's smiling, and she's having a good time on her bike instead of battling the machine like she was with the Amira. Amira's a great bike. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to... Yeah. I don't no, want to it rip is a dynamite bike. It's a fabulous bike if you race bikes, <laughs> if you're aggressive, if you love to descend fast or climb mountains. But if if you want to just go out and enjoy yourself and have fun with friends or whatever, or do long rides, maybe not the machine for you. Fatty, I know you've had a garage, you have a garage full of bikes and, and have been through plenty. Any regrets in your life there? A couple of them. And I think that there's actually a trend along what you're describing for Mrs. Hottie. And that is when you buy a bike for something you hope you will be, or in your case, what you hope your wife will want to start riding, that's when you start winding up with the wrong bike. Um, A couple of years ago, I bought a Felt F FRDX. They're super light, high-end, cross-frame set, outfitted it with the lightest components and the best wheels with the idea that this was going to be my ultimate crusher in the Tusher bike. The problem with that was having that bike didn't make me love riding in the dirt with drop bars. I just didn't love that bike. And no matter what I did, I was never going to love that bike. And I don't race cross. So this super bike wasn't for me. I sold it. Going back 20 years is the Ibis Bowtie. And I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't like this bike because it was my first really great bike. My first mountain bike was the uh, was a stump jumper. You know, basically the Honda Civic of the time of mountain bikes. It was a hardtail um, aluminum frame. But I was going to be doing the Leadville Trail 100 for the first time. I thought... Full suspension, titanium, super bike, incredibly long wait time. It was going to be the thing for me. It replaced my Ibis Steel Mojo, uh, which uh, Ibis was nice enough to loan me while it uh, put me in a long queue for the t- uh, for the bow tie. And the bow tie was probably a great bike for some people, but it wasn't great for me. Mm. I lost count of the number of times I banged my knees against the twin leaf spring down tubes that went down uh, around the seat tube. I tried to accommodate it in a lot of ways from adapting my riding style to adapting the bike. Eventually, I accepted that this bike and I were not meant to be, and I sold it, and I bought an Ibis Thai Mojo, which is not coincidentally, I think, the only bike I ever regret selling, but that is a completely different story. In both cases, for the Felt and for the Ibis, I bought the idea of a bike rather than a bike I knew that fit me and fit my riding style. And I'd like to say that I've learned my lesson, but in reality, I'm sure I have not. (laughs) I currently have on order two specialized epics, one for me and one for the Hammer, We've never ridden uh, the Specialized Epic, 
but we like the idea of it. <laughs> and, you know, history may be repeating itself real soon. But we've written enough specialized that we have a pretty good idea that how they fit. And I kind of suspect that we've got a winner here. Mm-hmm. Well, regrets. I've had a few too. Most notably, it's hanging in my garage right now, a BMC time trial bike that just sits there. I mean, I thought I was going to, you know, keep up the time trialing and do that and use it as a source of training. But that poor machine, it's it's just sitting there collecting dust and regrets. I've I've had a few. So PPRD, guys, post-purchase regret (laughs) disorder, a uh, new pace line diagnosis. Yep, and, and a new acronym, you can never have too many of those. And I would say that with that time trial bike, you bought the idea of something. Mm-hmm. You liked the idea of time trialing. So maybe that is the way to ignore or to avoid regrets. Buy a bike that you're going to ride and that you know you're going to like instead of something that you hope is going to change what you like to do. Anyway, I think it's my turn to take a pull. Drop on back, hottie. This time, guys... My pull is going to be an ugly one because that is my signature bike move, riding ugly. <laughs> Hottie, you and I have ridden together a couple of times, mm-hmm. so you know what I mean. Patrick, you and I, weirdly, have never ridden together. So let me paint we a sort of picture. Did. Have we? Have we ridden together? We've, we've like, been in the same ride, uh, but well, we haven't ridden together. <clears throat> we lost track of each other in the first mile, but, you know, hey, okay. we rolled out together. Okay, hey, we're nitpicking, which is good because that's what we do. But back to my mental picture here. Am I lightest even, which I is not right now. <laughs> I have a little bit of a paunch. And I have too much pride or ego or whatever to not slam my stem, which means my knees have to figure out where they're going to go about 60 times per minute. I've been riding single speed for so long that it's infected and dominated my riding style no matter whether I'm on dirt or pavement. I pick big gears and seek out every possible opportunity to stand up and row. And finally, I have sweat glands in my nose that give me this more or less constant pendulum of snot, which I like to call a snotulum. More <laughs> more vocabulary on the pace line. And it swings off the tip of my nose sort of in time with my 60 strokes per minute cadence. I bow out my arms way ugly. I mismatch my clothes, not on purpose and not ironically, but just because I have this really terrible sense of design. And my mouth hangs open constantly and I grimace and moan and I talk to myself to get myself over hard climbs. And I keep all the important moving parts of my bike in good shape, rarely clean the rest. So my helmet, it's usually drifting kind of crooked and makes me think that maybe my skull's misshapen. And I put my glasses inside my helmet straps for good reason, but that's another conversation. (laughs) Basically, when I ride, I look like a crazed hobo with extraordinarily nice quads and, you know, who's stolen and then begun neglecting a really nice bike. And in short, I don't look very pro. I ride ugly. This doesn't stop me from being fast, and it doesn't stop me from having fun, but it does sort of motivate me to stay out of the frame in photos and especially video. And all of this in spite of the fact that I've been riding for more than two decades. If I was going to learn by now, I'd have learned. There's not hope for me. And I wish I could say I don't care, but I do care. I wish I had some of that grace or style or panache or whatever you want to call it that pros 
and quite a few amateurs seem to have on the bike. So I want to ask of you two, because I've seen photos, I've seen you ride, do you and the rest of the elegant, stylish, graceful style of riders judge and avoid those of us who ride ugly? Patrick? No, no, I really don't. Um, <laughs> do you even notice, you, you notice the ugly riders? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh my God, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm, I mean, I saw plenty of it on Saturday. Uh, there was, there was some mismatched stuff. And honestly, it used to be that during the winter, when I would do the Friday coffee ride, I would roll out in what I called the anti-kit. I would pull out all my best, uh, cold weather gear. Um, but I would always make a point to assort it, uh, in, in a way that matched as little as possible. Um, and so I had this great thermal jacket and I had these great thermal bibs and they were from two different teams and they, it's possible you could create uh, a kit that matches less than that did, but it was, um, garish. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, there are times when I do it deliberately, uh, cause it's just a fun way to pull out stuff that you probably wouldn't be riding anymore. Um, but you know, yeah, there was, there were definitely been periods in my cycling past where I just didn't have enough gear to be all matchy matchy. Um, and now that I do have enough gear to be all matchy matchy, I am, but I am sensitive to what happens when you have one vest, you know? And so sure. it's, uh, it's just cruel to go hard on somebody for that. I'm not even so much talking though about the what you're wearing as riding style. I'm Oh, I am handsome. <laughs> I am good looking on the bike. You know you are. And Hottie, I've seen you ride enough that you look like a pro when you are riding. You've got a smooth, elegant style. I look like I am having a fight with my bicycle well it's all and luck I, I mean there's nothing to it there just that I, I was blessed i suppose with the ability to hold my upper body still and rotate my legs look fatty there's dozens of examples of of guys who ride ugly but are very successful thurlow rogers is a local legend around here and was a pro uh, the man and i say this with all due respect thurlow but he bobs up and down when he rides he bobs you swear to god he's gonna bob right off the bike but he's the fastest guy going at age 56 or 57 or whatever he is. He's a hell of a good rider. He will school you every time out there. He's very good. Thomas Vokler wore the yellow oh, yeah. jersey. A French hero. Look at the way that guy rides. Tongue hanging out, bouncing up and down, in and out of the saddle, attacking weirdly, strangely all the time, doing crazy things. But he's a pro. He and I loved like his pro. ugly style. I mean, I really honestly kind of reveled in his, yeah, tongue out and all that. It was, there was something that was sort of fun about that. Yeah. So, Fatty, looks don't matter to me, and and maybe your cadence or your style doesn't really matter to me. It's really overall how you behave on the bike. Can you hold a line? Can you keep a pace? Can you do the proper things? And I learned this the hard way. I got behind a guy who looked pro. He was dressed right. He had the nice bike. You thought he was doing okay, but what did he do? He put his bicycle down in front of me, and I went flying over the top of him and ended up with a broken shoulder. So looking oh, yeah. pro 
even if you have the nice cadence and the good ability in the saddle, doesn't always mean anything. You can, I want somebody who can hold their line, hold their pace, point things out on the road. To me, that's looking pro. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm okay in that respect. I've done enough riding long enough that I've made the mistakes and hopefully I've learned from a lot of them. All that said, I do judge people by whether their legs are shaved. And I guess that's just a different a different version or a different gradation of uh, judging the ugly rider. Um, I because I, I worry about that thing. When I see someone who is riding and their legs are hairy and they don't have a in their kit is a mess and they their bike is a mess, I judge them for the exact same thing, minus the hairy legs. I, sh- I shave them religiously. Um, that I expect other people are looking at me and saying, this guy can't be bothered to keep himself cleaned up and, and looking good. Plus, you know, they got to avoid the various, you know, the, the phlegm and sweat and stuff that is constantly flying off me. Everyone in the world who rides with me, my apologies. I don't think it's <laughs> going to change. 20, uh, 22, 23 years of riding, I'm going to stay ugly. Guys, I think the pace line's ready for its first break. When we come back, Patrick's going to talk about mass bike and, of course, pace line picks. That's all coming up. Does shaving your legs really make a difference? Man, shaved legs make such a difference. Look at that guy with the hairy legs. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you're a cyclist. And because you're a cyclist, you can save up to 25.5% on your life insurance by purchasing it through Health IQ. In addition to all the usual information you give for insurance, such as age, gender, height, weight, and nicotine use, the amount of riding you do each week is considered, and you can take quizzes that may reduce your payments further. It turns out that knowing what it takes to be fit has its own value. Health IQ knows that people who ride have an 18% lower risk of heart disease, a 28% lower risk of overall mortality, and a 45% lower risk of cancer. So drop by healthiq.com forward slash paceline podcast to get your free no obligation quote. The pace line is back. Stop hiding from the wind, Patrick. Come on out and take a pull. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so guys, let's talk statistics and numbers for just a moment. Our topic is cycling fatalities. That is, cyclists killed by motor vehicles. Here's our first little detail. Did you know that in New York, fewer than 7% of drivers who cause crashes are charged with homicide? How about this one? How about out of 10,000 motorists prosecuted for driving while intoxicated in New York, fewer than 40 were prosecuted for failing to yield to a pedestrian or bicyclist? Worse, failing to yield results in six times as many crashes between cars and pedestrians or bicyclists as DUIs. That one's really disturbing to me. Okay, now, Since 2010, there have been 13 fatal bicycle crashes that involved large vehicles like 18-wheelers, MBTA buses, or smaller 
trucks with trailers. No charges have been filed against any of those drivers in any of those cases. Now, in Massachusetts, one of those cases is being challenged by the Mass Bike Coalition. Back on August 7, 2015, Dr. Anita Kuraman, a renowned endocrinologist and surgeon, was crushed by a truck driver who turned right from Mass Ave onto Beacon Street in a sweeping turn that disregarded the presence of the doctor. The police investigation put 100% of the blame on Dr. Kurman. However, Mass Bike found video evidence that Dr. Kurman was doing everything right. So I got in touch with my buddy Richard Fries, who's the executive director of Mass Bike. Here's Richard. Well, hey, Richard, great to talk to you. Been a little while. Great to talk to you, Patrick. So uh, I saw your post about the death of endocrinologist Dr. Anita Kurman. Why don't you, for our listeners at home, uh, describe the scene that unfolded? Sure. Beautiful summer day, August 7th, 2015. We have a 37-year-old Swiss doctor on her way to the famous Longwood Medical Area, where she was a medical researcher and a surgeon. She's riding over the Massachusetts Avenue Bridge into Boston from Cambridge. Comes to the first intersection, which is Beacon Street. Now, there she is overtaken by a truck on the bridge. So the guy sees her. Obviously, there's a lot of bicycles. It's a big collar shop. So the driver had to see her because he's just passed her about 20 to 30 seconds prior. Then he gets stuffed up in traffic. She's coming up the bike lane. He swings wide to the left, but he never checks his mirror. And he swings into the to make a right turn on Beacon Street. And she tries to come to a stop literally just feet from the corner. But he takes her out and kills her and then drives away. How big a truck are we talking? This is a 48-foot flatbed trailer, the longest Oof. that is legal in the state of Massachusetts. Wow. How did you discover the video? At MassBike, we know of every fatality. We have a really good database of uh, every fatality. And, you know, it's also pretty safe to ride a bike in Massachusetts. But every time there's a fatality, we really respond. So we knew of it. And we also know of a lot of people in the bike law community. We have a lot of good bicycle lawyers here. And so there's a buzz about it that they had uncovered a security camera that had footage on it. They had security cameras on uh, on buses. They had security cameras on the buildings right looking down on the intersection. It got out into the legal community, and we were able to obtain a copy of that video. But really, we waited for the police report. We were, like, confident that this would be the great case. You know, there's been 13 victims of uh, large vehicle crashes, 13 bike riders going back to 2010. Uh, never once has a charge been filed against a truck driver. We thought, hey, this is the one that there's certainly going to be some charge. We were shocked when the police came out and said it was 100% the fault of the bike rider. So, wow. Okay, so the police knew about the video, but did they just not review it at all? Did they well, not really investigate? We, they did a really good job investigating this as if there had been no footage. And as is the case with most bicycle crashes, they operate under the presumption that if the driver says, I never saw the rider, then that's, oh, that's good for them. And that seems to be the typical thing. We asked them to meet with us in November. We asked them to meet with us in December. We asked them probably 12 times. They kept putting us off. They kept saying they would. Then they wouldn't. Then, that's just, then we just got tired of it. There was more than 12 formal requests to sit with us to review this. We also went to the district attorney saying the same thing. We really think this one was missed. We think that this should be reopened. Nobody would hear it. And then we finally said, 
find. So we went we went public with it, and we had strung together the security camera footage. We released it this week. We are on every major network news, you know, the network affiliates. We are on the front page of the Boston Herald, led the metro section of the of the globe. You know, the NPR affiliates were all over it. I've been on radio a few times this week. Now everybody in Boston is buzzing about it. Okay, so they closed the case without doing anything that any reasonable person would have thought would have been the natural response in terms of charging the driver. What do you think the chances are that they're going to charge the well, driver? We have three objectives here. I think ultimately we will achieve two of the three. The first objective is to get this into a courtroom. Do we think this driver is ever going to go to jail? No. Do we think this driver uh, maybe should have a license suspension? A How about a citation? So, yeah, we believe it deserves to be in a courtroom, okay? That was objective number one. I don't think we'll ever see that. Objective number two was to create a teachable situation for police departments and law enforcement to understand how to properly investigate a bicycle crash and how to understand bicycle law. Uh, The report is dramatic. While they're really good at car-on-car stuff, they, in reading the investigation, and we we can make that public, we can make our narrative public for your readers, it was clearly evident that the police were confused about what bicycle law actually is as to where she was supposed to be. This rider was right where she should have been. And then number three is to do what we're doing. We want a big public dialogue. We want everybody talking about this because ultimately we want drivers to check their mirrors. So not a lot of hope that this will actually uh, result in a driver being found guilty. So you think the big gains are just are, are more a matter of awareness on the part of law enforcement? Yeah, culture eats strategy for breakfast, and we need to change traffic culture. And that's all of us. Those are bicycles, those are pedestrians, those are motorists. Everybody needs to improve highway safety in our culture. We need to develop a political mandate. In Sweden, they had 304 deaths on the roadways of Sweden in 2016. We had 40,200 in the United States. Even when you do the math, it ends up Sweden has two deaths for every 100,000 people. We have ten and a half deaths for every 100,000 people. It's unacceptable. It's a public health crisis. Oh, man. Is there any sort of opportunity for our listeners to weigh in a petition of any sort? What can listeners of the Paceline do to help? Yes, they can watch the video. They can log in. They can uh, they can send a message. We have some emails that they can send messages to. But the other thing is to bring that back to their statewide advocates. Statewide advocacy is where you get laws changed. That's where the judicial system is. This should be a major precedent for enforcement. There's three major ways to improve traffic and roadway safety, especially for bike riders. It is the three E's. It is education, it is engineering, and it is enforcement. And the engineering is getting way far out in front of the enforcement. The enforcement has a lot of catching up to do. And it sounds like education for law enforcement is a big step toward actual enforcement. You get one question on bicycle pedestrian law when you apply for a license in Massachusetts. Most states don't even have that, so you're not expected to know anything. Most people don't know the law about driving around bicycles. Most bicyclists don't know their own state laws. Yeah, we should all know that. Police should really know it. Mm. Uh, You've got a lot of engineers doing a lot of great things, and then the police never quite get the memo as to what a shero means, what a bike lane Mm. means, who can do what, stuff like that. Uh, right now, the way we manage traffic in America is the cops take that. You wait until there's a crash, and then you leave it to the insurance companies and the courts to clean up the mess. And that ain't working. You're better off enforcing laws before there are problems. Right. Richard, thank you for your work on this. I continue to be a big fan of you as an advocate. 
Thanks for taking the time to talk with us at the Pace Line. Yeah, join your statewide advocacy group, okay? It's really important work they're doing, and you, you wouldn't know it. But thank you for having us, and thanks for the hard work of you. Guys, more and more of us are self-reporting that we aren't riding on the road anymore because of how dangerous it is. The safest I feel when riding on the road is when I'm on my cargo bike with my boys on the back, just because we are so noticeable. But I got to say, I'm increasingly concerned about the risk I'm placing my kids at by riding with them. All it takes is one person lolling at some meme on Instagram and pow, my two boys and I are dead. So the question before us now is, what do we do? I mean, let's let's start with you, Hottie. You're a daily bike commuter. You know, your mornings sound like they're not all that dangerous, but what thoughts are going through your mind as you ride home from work each day? Yeah, what do we do? I think we keep riding, Patrick. I know it's there's a fear factor out there for a lot of people. I hear this in Los Angeles all the time, that people don't want to ride on the road. They look at me like I'm nuts. I ride to work. What? You ride to work? You're, you're crazy. You're nuts. Those cars, they're going to kill you. But you do have to, you got to go out there in a, in a defensive, both an offensive and defensive mode. Every time I jump on the bike and it's a bike commuter, I headed into traffic. I always remember, I got to remind myself, you got to pay attention. You got to look up, you know, don't daydream. It's up to me too. Just like, you know, we tell the person who's Instagramming or tweeting and texting or whatever they're doing behind the wheel, the cyclist too has to pay attention and we can drift off a little bit, look down, look the other way. So pay attention, be aware. It's a constant reminder of yourself. And then when you, once you're on the road and riding, I'm I'm judging everyone behind the wheel. What's that person going to do? What could they do? Could they flick a right in front of me? Does that blinker really mean what they're about to do? I look in mirrors. I, I look in a lot of mirrors and try to look at faces and see if their head's down or if they're texting or anything. So that's constantly going on. Um, and then regarding the law, you know, know the law. Know what you are allowed to do. I think that's prudent. I think... Uh, you know, our guest there uh, made that perfectly clear, but also know what, apply some logic to. I mean, know, know that you can take the lane, right? It's the law. You can take the lane, but apply logic. Is it the right time to take the lane? Do I really need to? Or could I move to the right and maybe let the car go by? And those are just, Patrick, those are some of the things I always spin around in my head every time I, I head out in the traffic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, same here. Same here. It's nice to hear that confirmed. Fatty. What about you? When you're out with the hammer, you know, what sorts of thoughts are guiding your decisions? You know, I have put renewed focus on high-vis gear. I think that matters. I am also making conscious decisions as to where I ride. I, I love I love the thought of advocacy. I don't do enough of it. I, in, in fact, do very little of it. Uh, I think mostly of taking care of my own family. And I think that that is a problem and that is something that I need to change. And frankly, what you were describing is one of the most chilling stories I've ever heard where this isn't something where you can say this person should have done, would have been okay if she had done. This is this was a I was doing everything right. I still got injured. I, or I in this case, killed. Frankly, um, and and I, f- I feel bad saying this, but stories like this make me think that maybe for the safety of my family, for myself, that, yeah, I got to I gotta watch where I ride, when I ride, and visibility of how I ride just to take care of myself. It's that, That's a very selfish perspective, but uh, it's kind of the one that I'm drifting to, and I think it's a pretty normal perspective. 
I think it's pretty understandable, really. You know, I, we have a huge responsibility to our families, and I think it's reasonable to come up with uh, a piece of math where you go, well, I, I need to get out there for my sanity. I, you know, I need this uh, in my life. I'm not going to stop doing this, but what can I do to hedge my bets? You know, uh, yeah, I'm riding off road more and more. Uh, if it's not the mountain bike, it's a gravel bike. And, um, you know, frankly, I'm noticing that when I'm out there on my gravel bike, uh, as I was earlier today, you know, I just don't even have to think about the cars because I'm, I'm out there. The, you know, the, my biggest concern is making sure I've yelled loud enough for the hikers to hear me mm-hmm. before I come by. So, yeah. And advocacy needs to be a part of what we're doing. We can't simply retreat. We can't give up and say, okay, we're just going to ride on the dirt and seed the road altogether to cars, right? The the, the uh, Paceline Tandem that I recorded with uh, Peter Flax, that was his most emphatic point in what he is spending his mental cycles on. And I, you know, I salute him for that. You know, plug for that episode. Listen to it if you haven't. It's in your feed. But all of us, you know, need to tell the stories, need to make the noise, need to be, make people be more aware of us because we can't just give up on biking, on, you know, on roads to work, to the stores, to everywhere. It needs, it needs to be a part of what we do. Whew. Uh, feels good to be on the soapbox. Also feels good to kind of get <laughs> off it. Uh Patrick, do you got a final thought on that, or should we head on to the picks? Let's head on to the picks. All right, fantastic. Uh, go ahead and drop off to the back. Uh, you know, sh- shift into a lighter gear, spin for a second, and I will kick off with my paceline pick. It's a recommendation on Twitter, and it is only barely bike related. My pick is Moon Pies, both the product <laughs> and the Twitter account. It is my product pick because I'm a huge fan of treats that are both marshmallowy, terrible for you, and fit in a jersey pocket. And I realized that I just did three things after saying both, <laughs> both. but you know, that's you know, that's the moon pie way. I'm going to say it right now. I swear the worse a treat is for you, the more I love it in the middle of a big ride. And even if you don't like moon pies, follow Moon Pie on Twitter from a a play where every character is named Moon Pie, to a supportive and loving conversation with the Wendy's Twitter account, to volunteering to answer moon-related questions while NASA was unavailable during the government shutdown, this <laughs> is my current favorite account on Twitter. Okay, I'm no in. No life, I'm folks. <laughs> followed at, follow at Moon Pie on Twitter. It is awesome. Patrick, what do you have? I'm just... <laughs> The idea of answering moon questions by the Moon Pie Twitter account. I, the guy's a genius. Yes. <laughs> I tell you. Okay. So my pick, tandems. Again, not brand specific. This is just tandems in general. I've got a commotion. And last weekend, I rode the first of the grasshoppers for the season with a friend of mine. We were out there a long damn time, about 50% longer than I would have been out there had I ridden it on my own. But being on a tandem was crazy amounts of fun. What I love is that when you're on a tandem, it's a shared experience in a way that going for a ride with another person just isn't. You know, your cadence is exactly the same. 
When you put a uh, pedal down in a corner, it's exactly the same. The arc of your turn is exactly the same. You know, I can only characterize this as being intimate, truly. And part of that goes to the level of coordination involved uh, in other ways. You know, you got to you got to communicate just to get on and off the thing. Um, But also significant is the degree to which you got to you have to communicate as you're riding. I've got to alert my stoker to bumps and other stuff. Uh, my stoker needs to ask for opportunities to stand and rest and has to trust me when I start to let the bike run on a muddy road. Um, it's not bad either when you pass a rider on a single and they tell you what badasses you are for riding a tandem on a dirt road. I mean, we were, so there's that. But, <laughs> but after not doing much tandem riding last year, I'm glad to be back on mine. And I'm seriously grateful that I ordered a Comotion Periscope because it features telescoping seat tubes. So it can accommodate riders of a huge variety in height. You know, I can fit an adult and I can also fit my four-year-old. And there aren't too many bikes in the world. Actually, it's, it's the only bike in the world that allow you to do that. So <laughs> that's my pick. Go ride a tandem with your sweetheart. Oh, I like that. And the, it, there's sort of a Mary Poppins aspect to it as well, right? With the Dick Van Dyke thing. Oh, oh, right. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> wow. There's one from Go the watch, vaults. Go watch that movie. That's a nice moment. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. My, my brain definitely has a, a lower left corner, huh? <laughs> Hadi, what do you got? Well, like a lot of gravel nerds, I have uh, two wheel sets mounted with tires that address different conditions for my gravel bike. I have a set of carbon mountain bike wheels with 40 Shinabis that I run with about 40 PSI. Those are for burlier conditions. My second set, set of Stan's Grail. Now, um, I used to put on those grails uh, the Specialized Trigger in 33. Nice quick tire with a little tread to it. Uh, That is until my mechanic lost his mind and threw one out during a tire switch. So instead of trying to track down a solo trigger, I went for a new set and in the process found my paceline pick. The Panaracer Gravel King Slick and 38 with that cool tan sidewall. They are tubeless and they sealed with ease. I can run up to 60 PSI in them, which gives them good roll on the tarmac. They're wide enough to hold up in the dirt while dampening some of the blows when the surface gets rough. I've had them out now on a couple of long mixed surface rides, and they came through great. Recently, I jumped in a fast group ride and was able to roll with a pretty quick pack. As long as the 38s were turning, there was little slowing them down. Yeah, accelerations took a few more more turns of the crank, but man, when they rolled, it was like having a deep rim on and all that centrifugal force going. Off-road, they're good too when the trail or fire road was straight. You just have to be careful when you you lean the bike over in loose, uh, hard over you know that loose over hard stuff so yeah they'll stay under you though if you just got to be a little careful uh watch the aggression love the (laughs) panoracer gravel king slick and 38.8 and 38 that is c and happy to join the cool kids with those earth tone sidewalls so, Hadi, when you bought them, did you get them at the very best possible deal? <laughs> uh, I didn't. Actually, it was one of the purchases. I went, I want those. I'm getting those. I think I made a decent. They were $54.95 a piece. So, that's a good price. Go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, but 
How many weeks did it take you to decide to buy them? <laughs> it took a while. It did. It actually took like three weeks. Uh, I was looking around. I, should I get Clements or the, what are Donnelly's now? Or I couldn't. I couldn't figure out what. I had tracked down a trigger. I was like, ah, uh, I want to try something new. You know, couldn't make up my mind. <laughs> I was going to say there is hope for you yet, but it turns out there's not. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys. That well, is that gives the us, show. That gives us good reason to keep going. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Well, there will be a, an episode 102, I guess. And one last reminder, find us on Apple, Apple Podcasts and take a moment to rate and review us. For Hottie and Patrick, I'm Fatty. Thanks for listening to episode number 101 of The Pace Line. And do I sound good? Oh, yeah. All right. You have all that fancy muffling stuff in your room there. <laughs> <laughs>